glad you joined us for New Hope's Sermon of the Week. For more resources, be sure to contact newhopecom.org. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Good morning. I have been looking forward to this for some years. Not 500, maybe 34, but (laughs) this really is a special season um, in the church, and uh, I'm not going to talk long about Luther this morning, but that is happening in churches around the world this morning, and there are so many different takes on this. Um, October 31st. Martin Luther posted 95 theses on the door of the church at Wittenberg, Germany. And those 95 uh, theses were actually just points of uh, correction that he was hoping the church would make. Martin Luther was a professor who was believing that the church would actually have a discussion and a debate about his topics. It was not unusual to post these lists on the doors of the churches. He was not trying to start a reformation. He was not trying to start a church split. He was just trying to start a discussion. Well, a lot of the messages that that go around with Martin Luther focus on the 95 theses and the idea that maybe we need a new list and maybe we need a new division and that divisions are good and they're always apostolic and they take us in new directions and there's a lot of messages that will circulate along those lines. It's not what I want to focus on today. I really have been feeling like uh, there's, there's certain metaphors in the New Testament that we we hear about, and some of them we focus on more than others. Say, for example, the church is the bride of Christ. You guys are familiar with that one? It's probably a very familiar one for uh, an environment like this where we really are focused on worship and presence. You heard uh, Steve this morning say, we gather here around the presence, around worship and the presence. And so in an environment like this, we hear a lot about the bride. We're the bride. We hear about intimacy. We hear about close connection with the Lord. And so the bride is a metaphor uh, for our relationship with Christ, and we hear a lot about that. Some other places you might hear about the body, and when you hear about the metaphor of the body, you think of uh, every part doing its part, every part activated, every part working together, that we are all little parts of a larger whole. So there's a focus on unity, there's a focus on activation, there's a focus on participation when you hear about the body metaphor. There are some other metaphors that don't get a lot of time. Um, Some we've gotten into a bit more in the last few years, such as identity. We talk about being a new creation. We talk about being royalty. Romans 5.17 says that we will reign in life. So there's, there's different things about that, that that get brought in, but I, I want to talk about some of them today that we don't get into very much, um, but I want to start by just reading to you something, a famous part of Luther's life that might not get as much focus today, and so uh, in 
1521, so four years after he nailed the infamous 95 Theses to the door, four years later, he was taken to the Diet of Worms. It's not as delicious as it sounds. In German, it's actually Worms. So he was taken to the Diet of Worms, and uh, what that is, is it's a trial. A diet is a little different in German, and so it's a trial, and they were putting him on trial for being a heretic. Now, at the trial, uh, he, he said this, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. What I want to talk about today is not the division or a new theology or a new list or a new movement or things like that, as much as the fact that we have here someone we're celebrating 500 years later that was willing to take a stand and put their life on the line. The fact that during that time period, there were people who would get burned at the stake. There were people who gave their life to translate. John, John Wycliffe, John Huss, John Knox, that would give their life burned at the stake for being heretics so that the scripture could get into our hands. And we, we live in a, in a culture, in a, in a society that has been so impacted in a good way by the kingdom and by the gospel that persecution has minimized. Some people want to take us back to a place where, you know, if they were killing Christians in the street, then our Christianity would be amazing over here. That is not the goal. The, the actual goal of the kingdom is to advance so far that it's on earth as it is in heaven, and there's no persecution in heaven. So we're moving in the right direction, but our, our lack of persecution has its own demonic strategy to it. I was pondering this the other day, and, and it really has allowed, through wealth and through cushion and through peacefulness and through a lack of persecution, it's allowed us to ignore certain metaphors in Scripture that push us to actually living on the edge with lives full of purpose. Let me give you a very quick version of, of the New Testament, all right? So we have... I, I can do it. Don't worry. The book of Malachi ends. We have 400 years of darkness. No visions, no prophets, no dreams, no revelation from God. 400 years of silence. It's broken by a man who looks crazy in the wilderness. His name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist begins to preach and declare that the kingdom of God has come near us. He's a sign, he's a wonder, he's a weirdo. People start to go out, they start to get baptized. Jesus gets revealed, he gets baptized. The Holy Spirit lands on him, he begins his ministry. 
Three and a half years later, he dies on the cross and creates the new covenant. Yay! That's good news. So he creates the new covenant. Fifty days later, we have the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and a movement is born. That movement moves throughout the entire book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. The end. Okay. I told you, I told you. Has got a, you can believe me, it's all right. So, um, honestly, I want to talk not about all the other pieces because we've covered some of them and we're going to cover more of them. Christmas is coming, we're going to talk about baby Jesus and his golden manger. We're going to get into, thank you, millennials. Um, We're going to get into other pieces of the story, and we do throughout the year. It's not like we chronologically go through this usually, but what I want to talk about is the actual movement that was birthed, because sometimes we don't think of it as a movement. We think of it as something that's always existed, but it didn't. There was a time when there were Jews and the Old Testament and then 400 years of silence broken by a crazy man quoting the Old Testament and baptizing people out of nowhere. And then Jesus, who has some sort of Messiah complex, but he was right. And then he dies as a martyr and comes back to life. And now there's a movement formed. And this movement begins to gain steam. And nobody's seen it before. They don't even know what to call it. I, I want to uh, just mention, so in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, they are called the way. Acts chapter 9, verse 2, Acts 19, verse 9, and Acts 19, verse 23. So three places in the book of Acts, they are referred to as the way. That's one of the things Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the light. So we know that they started calling them that because they didn't know what to call them. Well, we have the Jews, we have the Old Covenant, we have the Moses Code. What do we call you guys? Well, we'll call you the way. Well, for a while, but then in Antioch, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it says it was here that they were first called Christians. So some places they're being called Christians, some places they're being called the way, don't really know what we're looking at here in the first century. They don't even know what to call these guys. That's how fresh and new the movement is. And this is how movements are. We have movements today that people go, well, is it the, is it the grace movement? Is it the hyper-grace movement? Is it the, the finished works? Is it this? Is it that? I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying when a new movement arises and it's that fresh, you don't even know what to call it. So this was brand new. It was something really fresh. Now, this movement had been prophesied in Isaiah 66, verse 8. It says, who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. Now, this is the verse that gets mis misquoted all the time. Can a nation be saved in a day? And people get together and they do prayer rallies around this verse. 
it's actually saying, can a nation be born in a day? It doesn't say, can a nation be saved in a day? It says, it can it be born in a day? And it was. It came out of the tomb of the grave that Jesus came out and brought forth a nation. And Peter refers to it in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's declaring the fulfillment of that Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8, that a nation can be born in a day. And he says, we are that new nation. We are the holy nation that Isaiah prophesied that we were waiting for. It's us. So they're trying to figure out what do we call this thing? What are we? What prophecies do we fulfill? And they're piecing together things from the Old Testament saying, oh, we're royalty. Oh, we're a chosen people. Oh, we're a holy nation. Oh, and they're piecing this together as they go through the first century, getting these parts. What I really want to zero in on are two metaphors this morning, ambassadors and soldiers. The movement that we're a part of has ambassadors ambassadors are ones who have the authority of their king and they're not subject to the laws of the land so for example in our case we have the authority of our king and we're not subject to the laws of fear sin and death like the locals are ephesians well, we'll do this one first. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul doesn't just use it there. He says again in Ephesians 6.20, For which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Speaking of the gospel, he is an ambassador in chains. He says in another one of his letters, I wish that you were like me, minus the chains. It's a little tongue-in-cheek from his letter. I, I, I love that quote. I wish you were just like me, except for these chains. The movement has soldiers. That was the other one I said I wanted to look at. First Corinthians, I'm going to read, there's four passages to this. First Corinthians 9, verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? These three pictures are pictures that Paul's using for believers. Then in Philemon chapter 1, which is funny to say, verse 2, also to Apha, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Paul referred to believers as fellow soldiers. He says it again in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, 
who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. And then lastly, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. I'm going to read that again, and I really want it to sink in because this is such a good reminder. Paul's writing to Timothy, his spiritual son. Paul's an apostle, Timothy's an apostle, and he's getting his head on straight. And he's saying, listen, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. I love, I love the metaphors of being the bride and the intimacy. I love the metaphor of being a part of the body and being joined and united and respecting the different parts and valuing the different gifts that we each carry. I, I love all the metaphors that are out there and they each add layers and different perspectives. But there's this piece for us as cushy, soft, Western believers that we get to choose, if we want to, to ignore that you're a soldier. You live in a time period where you're not going to get burned at the stake in this country. And I, I know, okay, yeah, we can make the, the thought, yeah, but there's Islamic terrorism. Yeah, but if you live in North Korea, there's political terrorism. If you live in China, there's atheistic ideologies. If you live in India, the Hindus are the ones that are persecuting. There are spheres of persecution that exist in different realms in this earth. And they, they operate in different ways. But what I want to get a call out to us today in our, in our honoring, in our valuing of what Martin Luther did, his value not just to write a list, not just to cause a division, but his willingness to lay his life down. I, I'm reminded this morning during worship uh, in John 21, Jesus is speaking to Peter, and he says in verse 17, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus just gave Peter a personal prophetic word. That's what you just heard. A personal prophetic word. Now, he didn't couch it in, you know, I'm, I'm seeing you when you're younger and you got to dress yourself and choose where you wanted to go. But this is what he's saying. But when you're older, someone else will dress you and they'll lead you where you do not want to go. What is that? martyrdom. That's why John actually interprets it for us so we don't miss the point, not just you're going to have somebody putting clothes on you and dragging you around as an old man. No, he's, 
I'm telling you right now, you're going to live, Peter, to be an old man. Then you will die as a martyr. That's a really intense personal prophetic word. But it will also help you if you're Peter. Because when you heal people at the, the gate called Beautiful in Acts chapter 4, you're not worried about being put to death by the Sanhedrin. Who must we obey, God or man? He's not living in a fear because he has a personal prophetic word over his life that says, I'm going to be here. He actually refers to it in 2 Peter 1. In 2 Peter 1, verses uh, 12 through 14, so I will remind you always of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. Hmm. He's saying, hey, I remember, and I'm getting pretty old. So somebody is going to kill me. That's going to happen soon. He knows his clock on his personal prophecy is winding down. These guys lived with an awareness of this movement and the intensity and the involvement in a way that I just want to push us to remember today. I'm not trying to push us back to Martin Luther. I'm trying to push us all the way back. I want to push us back to the right understanding of putting your life on the line. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15, So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. He's willing to put it all out there. He's willing to put his time, his energy, his physical health, his finances, everything. He expends it for them. And this isn't just the call for an apostle. Apostles are meant to be examples to the body of Christ. So it's supposed to challenge all of us. We're supposed to hear it and go, yeah, he's an ambassador. Not, good job, be an ambassador for us. But, oh, that's a model. I'm, I'm supposed to do that too. I'm, you're not going to go out and get whippings from the Jews. It's not going to happen today. I, I understand that. And so for some of us, it might be a hard thing to read some of these passages, like um, Paul says, just if you back up one chapter, in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, uh, starting in, in verse uh, 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind to talk like this? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, 
in danger from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone uh, without food. I have been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. That might not be your Monday morning tomorrow. That, I'm not saying that that's going to be your normal, but we do have to have this mindset. Not a mindset that says, I want to be persecuted. I'm not looking for a martyr complex. I'm not looking for you to want to get beat up and go out and do dumb things to get beat up. No. But to go back a couple years to a message that Ralph has given, the question is, are you all in? Are you all in? Are you willing to give your physical health? Yes. Then why not give in your wallet? If you're willing to give your wallet, are you willing to give your reputation? Are you willing to give your dignity? Are you willing to give... And we could go down the list. That's my challenge for us today. Do we understand this movement that we're a part of? Do we understand it to such a degree that you're willing to die, you're willing to be imprisoned, you're willing to take lashes, you're willing to be cold, hungry, tired, naked, whatever it takes? Do you understand what you're a part of? If so, why can't we designate some of our income to the church? Because where the treasure is, there your heart is also. Look at your own wallet and see, am I actually telling the truth or am I lying? Am I all in or am I a liar? I'm just saying. Think about it. I would say the same challenge, whether it has to do with sports, hobbies, physical health, so many other things that creep into our culture are not little stone idols, but they're much more subtle. It could be social media. It could be so many things that get in the way. And I'm not a legalist. You guys know I am not a legalist. There is a challenge, though, I want to put before you today to just check your own heart. Not to make a list of this is good, this is wrong, don't dance, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. Like that's, we're not trying to go back to some 50s denominational legalism. But there is something of this that if you're willing to put it all out there and say, I am all in, I'm willing to be all in for the movement, which is not a denomination and not one church, but it's a movement that's 2.2 billion people on the earth right now that you're a part of. And if you're saying, I am all in, then what might be getting in your way or what is incongruent with that thought in your life? One more verse, and we'll, we'll end with this. Philippians 1.21, when I was a young man, this was a verse that um, they had us memorize at the summer camp I went to, and 
it's, it's been a life verse that uh, I think really determines so much for me. And it, here Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I die, I go to heaven and I win. If I live, I get to be Christ on the earth and I win. So I'm in a no-lose situation here. So I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to back down. I don't need to have fear of man. I don't need to live under any intimidation by anything. Because if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. That settles it. So let me back up one thought here is the question of what is it that's even worth giving your life for? Because yes, we're part of a movement. We understand it in a large sense and that Paul was willing to give his life and, and, and leaders throughout the years who've been branded as heretics and all of that, that people have been willing to give their life. But then the question is, okay, what am I actually saying? At the core of this whole thing is the story of the prodigal son. The fact that you have been welcomed home to a loving father. You've been brought back into a family. You've been forgiven. You've had your pig slop washed off of you. You've had the ring and the robe and the sandals put back on. Your identity, your authority, your relationship. You are, you are the bride, you are the body, all those pieces are true. And they all should add up to something in your heart that says, this is actually worth dying for. I wouldn't want to ever go back. I wouldn't want to go back to out in the, pig's, the pig slop again. I don't want to be an angry older brother hanging out judging people. I want to be in the house with the father and I'm willing to share that message with other people and implore them like an ambassador, be reconciled to God. It's not having a martyr complex that just, I'm just willing to go out and die for whatever. No, you're willing because you're, like Paul says, compelled by love. That love is so heavy and so thick on you as, as John says in 1 John 3, Verse 1, he says, how great is the Father's love that he has lavished upon us. That's what actually motivates this. Not a desire for martyrdom, not a desire for persecution, but actually love that's willing to go as far as it takes. As far as it takes with your reputation, with your, with your words, with your physical health, with your tiredness, with your pushing, with your finances, that you are all in. Would you stand? I want to pray over us. If you just put your hands in front of you. Father, I thank you for hearts that hear and are hearing your call today, this challenge, this reminder, this restoration back to something that's been missing, perhaps. That this isn't just a, a Sunday morning club that we're a part of. 
but that we're actually a part of a movement that represents your heart and carries your love into this earth and that we're willing to go all in and be completely engaged and completely involved. Thank you, Father, for these people, for this family that we get to be a part of together and cheer each other on. And if you're recommitting, you don't have to come up for front this morning, but you're saying, yes, I am all in. I just want you to put both hands up above your head a little bit with me today. Father, I just want to acknowledge what you're doing in people's hearts right now and that prophetic activation right now that as they lift their hands, they make that, that V right now, that that is a sign of victory. That's a sign of surrender and victory. Father, that even as people have given their lives for this all through the ages, that right now we reestablish that we are all in. We are all in. Father, I, I ask for grace to be released on them, an increased fresh grace to be released on them this morning to empower their words, to empower them in the supernatural, to release healing to the sick, deliverance to those who are oppressed, that these hands will be hands full of your presence and your power. I bless these hands this morning. I bless these hands. Thanks so much for listening to this week's message. Feel free to contact us for further resources at newhopecom.org.